And for you folks who to stay with us, we are beginning a new journey this morning. Turning your Old Testaments to the book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk. In chapter 1 and verse 1, before we get into any of the verses, we will make a few introductory statements. How many of you, uh, just by way of getting to know the audience this morning, how many of you have read the book of Habakkuk? Can I see your hands? You've read Habakkuk? Okay, a lot of you have. Good. Very good. This was one of my favorite books in Malawi. Uh, not because the information changed, it was because of the name of the book. In, in Malawi, in Chichewa, we would say Habakuku. <laughs> it was just such a fun book to say. Turn to the book of Habakuku. <laughs> Habakuku. All right, Habakkuk. Habakkuk. And uh, I, I prayed about several other books, obviously, that we might cover. And uh, we haven't done anything from the Old Testament in a while. And Whenever you teach through one of the minor prophets, it is always going to be linked to several other minor prophets. This is going to give us a chance to talk about several different things from the Old Testament, which I think is good. I, as far as my experience, there, there's generally, um, I want to say, an ignorance about this part of the Bible when it comes to the minor prophets people are not very familiar with the information in there and you'll be shocked I think at how much of this stuff is going to be relevant uh, to what is actually going on in the world today and it's going to give us a chance to talk about things uh, pertaining to God's nature it's going to give us a chance to talk about questions that humanity has always had towards God uh, we're going to talk about politics more than we probably and, and normally do but you might have picked up on this. I don't spend a long time talking on politics. Now, part of that is because I'm an American. <laughs> and uh, the politics I pay attention to are not necessarily the same ones you pay attention to. Although, for whatever reason, the world is always up in our business. <laughs> the world's always up thinking about what America's doing. And I get it. I get it. When you're a financial powerhouse and a military powerhouse, that's going to happen. Um, but the other reason I don't talk about politics that much is because what good would it do, right? I could sit here and go on and on about how this politician is bad and this one's corrupt, and I'm only telling you something you already know 10 times over. So what's the point in, in complaining about that in church? I think what we'll, we'll have an opportunity to do by studying it in the Bible is to see a, a biblical reaction to political problems and what our posture, what our attitude should be, how do we pray about it, what do we do about it. So I, I think we'll be able to profit quite a bit from this type of a study. Now the book of Habakkuk, nobody's exactly sure when it was written because if you can see just verse one, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. He doesn't tell us I was alive in this, uh, during the life of this king or I was a contemporary with this other prophet. Some of the prophets did that, uh, but this one doesn't. So there are some varying ideas as to when the book was written. Most people, because of the content of the book, you can see in verse 6, 
For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. Uh, the Chaldeans, in this case, is synonymous with the Babylonians. This is going to be right before the Babylonians come and, and take Judah captive. So that's about 606 B.C. So some people put Habakkuk a little bit before that, maybe about 610 B.C. Um, verse 5, he says, Behold ye among the heathen. Now, I'm just giving you little snippets here. We'll talk more about these verses momentarily, but when he says ye among the heathen some people understand that that Habakkuk is talking to Jews that have already been taken into captivity they are among the heathen so this means Habakkuk is now after 606 BC now one how many of you are familiar with the book of Daniel in your Bible have you read the book of Daniel how many chapters are in the book of Daniel how many chapters you're allowed to look. This is an open book test. <laughs> How many chapters are in the book of Daniel? I heard it somewhere, 12. If, if, if you have the, a, the right kind of a Bible, you have 12 chapters. But did you know that there are Bibles, there are millions of Bibles in circulation that has 14 chapters in Daniel? Did you know that? Chapter 13 is about Susanna. It was a Jewish widow and story behind that. And then chapter 14 is called Bell and the Dragon, the false prophet or false idol, rather, uh, the idol Bell, B-E-L. You read about him in the Bible, this, this Bell God. And in the Catholic Bible, this is part of the Apocrypha now, uh, Daniel supposedly goes up against Bell and defeats the idol. But Bell has a pet dragon. And in order to take down the dragon, Daniel has to take a special cake, feed it to the dragon, kill the dragon. When he does, the people of Bel get very angry and they throw Daniel, coincidentally, into another den of lions. You know, that happens biblically in chapter 6 of Daniel. This happens again in the Catholic version of the Bible at the, towards the end of Daniel's life. And Daniel is in the pit, if memory serves, I think something like six days. You remember the other one, it was just overnight. This was like six days, something like that. And then the prophet Habakkuk evidently, supposedly, was summoned by God and picked up by his hair. An angel picked him up by his hair and, and drug him across the land until he got to Babylonia where Daniel was and he did all this simply so Habakkuk could bring Daniel a meal so this is old-fashioned Mr. Delivery <laughs> this is the original stuff you guys think it's just you know 21st century Mr. Delivery's been around for a long time so Habakkuk evidently took Daniel a meal and uh, assisted Daniel to get out of the den of lions, out of the pit, and then on he went. Uh, now, if, if that's true, then that would have made Habakkuk right around 120, maybe 130 years old when that happened, which is highly unlikely, right? Highly unlikely. Uh, it, physically, is it possible? Well, yes, maybe, but very unlikely and there's that, that particular chapter of Bell and the Dragon there's no, no historical evidence that it's actually a legitimate part of the Bible so it's nothing that, that I take or a lot of people take seriously it's part of what we call the Apocrypha but if you're wanting just something some background on Habakkuk 
there's your background. People try to put him in that, uh, in that time frame. Now, the first two chapters of Habakkuk, this is a conversation between God and the prophet. And I almost want to use a stronger word rather than conversation. Uh, there's a bit of, of controversy going on. The prophet is, you're going to hear it in his tone. He's upset. He's bitter. He's frustrated. He's angry. He's confused. And he's asking the age-old question, why? God, why are you letting this happen? And if I can stew that down a little bit, specifically, God, why are you letting bad things happen in this country without doing anything about it? Now, let me say that again, and I want you to think of South Africa in 2021. God, there are so many horribly corrupt, wicked, violent, vile things happening in this land. Why aren't you doing something about it? That's the righteous prophet's question to God. And here's the best part. God answers. God answers. Throughout the first two chapters, God says, listen, here's my plan. Here's the short-term plan to fix it. Here's the long-term plan to fix it. Let me ask you folks, if I could tell you what God's going to do in the next 10 years to fix South Africa, would that be interesting to you? You'd like to know that, wouldn't you? What if I said in the next 100 years, I'll tell you what South Africa is going to look like? The, the shape and form the government is going to take and so on that would get your attention say man this is something I need to know about and that's precisely what chapters 1 and 2 are, are dealing with so it's very interesting stuff in that respect and then chapter 3 just to introduce the book to you you can look at chapter 3 verse 1 a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon here's a nice bible word Shigianoth We'll study the Shigianoth at some other point. Maybe one of you guys can learn to play the Shigianoth one day. We'll have it as an instrument in church. But this is actually, uh, there's only a couple places in the Bible like this where outside of the book of Psalms. In the book of Psalms, you find this word Shigianoth on, a, on several occasions. It's an instrument that they would play. And many times a prophet would, would pray while he's singing so the song and the prayer would go together and I don't know if you've ever noticed it if you ever take time to look through the hymn book I would say over half of these hymns are prayers or at least could be a prayer let's put it that way so many of these songs are praise just talking about how great God is or the things of God but then a lot of them are prayers and this is a biblical thought many of these prophets Many of these authors, they would pray and then put it to music. Now, why do that? Um, music helps you remember things, right? Music also expresses the emotion of what you're saying. Isn't that right? So it, it, when you put your words to a particular tone, it can sound aggressive, angry. It can sound comforting. It can sound thankful, however that goes. So that's, you'll find it several times like that. Chapter 3 then is going to, it'll be a bit of a shift in the dialogue. It's no longer this controversy back and forth, but rather Habakkuk praying about what God has already told him. And uh, so it'll have a slightly different tone to it. Very much more prophetic, just talking about what God is going to do eventually. All right, so back to Habakkuk 1 and verse number 1. We'll begin commenting now. The burden 
the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. So God revealed it to him, showed it to him. Now, when it says which he did see, yes, in the sense of a vision, God showed him so that he could see it in his mind's eye. This is true. But also, whenever we say, I see something, we do this, every language does this, every language. Uh, somebody explains something to you, and you go, oh, I see. What, what do you mean by that? You don't mean that you physically see the explanation. You mean, ek verstaan, I get it. I get it, right? Ek seen. So that's the, the words I see or did see. It kind of expands beyond that. Now, the other thing I want to point out in verse 1, the burden, the burden. It could have said the vision. It could have said the words, the message. You see those, that, that, that phraseology is used in other places. But this, in this place, we have the burden which Habakkuk, the prophet, did see. Now, why call this a burden? Uh, I'm going to show you a few verses now in different ways you can understand this. But, and I think all of these things are true at the same time. When God shows you something, listen to this. When God shows you something, you're now responsible to do something with it. And that then becomes a burden. And not all burdens are bad. Amen. Hey, husbands and wives, when you stood at the altar and said, I do, you just took on a burden. <laughs> but a good one. You knew what you were getting into, but now you are accepting responsibility for that other person's life, and I am going to play the, this role in that person's life. That's, that's a burden, but of the good kind the good kind I'm going to show you some other burdens that are good but once God says here's what I'm going to do now you are responsible to do something with that information this is one reason you don't want to come to church the more you come to church the more you hear the more you're going to be judged for God's going to say I told you I told you this is how I expect you to act this is what I want you to do and what I want you to change and you had access to all this information this is one of the curses of having a Bible believing Bible preaching church in your town you're better off living in a desert you are because as soon as you get around a, a place that's going to give you lots of Bible well then man now I got to do something say something right Hey, before I got saved, I felt no pressure at all to tell anybody about Jesus. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what saved was. I didn't know that anybody needed to be saved. I thought we just did the best we could, and hopefully it works out one day. Then, when somebody explained the gospel to me, now I have a lifelong, healthy burden on my soul that somebody else needs to hear this message. If this is how salvation works... Everybody needs to be saved. The gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm a debtor. Paul says, I am a debtor to all men. What's a debt? It's a burden. It's a burden. So when God reveals something, now you've got to ponder it, you've got to think about it, you've got to explain it to others, you've got to do something with that. Here's the other thing about a burden. When God says, this is what I'm going to do, God is now liable to follow through with that promise or with whatever he has said. If he says, I'm going to punish these people, that is God's burden now. 
Every man's word is his burden. This, this should be true of you as well. You should also consider your words your burden. Uh, if you say, I'm going to be there, your yea should be yea. So when, when we see the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see, this is God telling the prophet, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And Habakkuk says, now I see what God is going to do. So you understand the word burden can be, this is what God is responsible to do. And also at the same time, now that Habakkuk knows it, Habakkuk's responsible to tell other people about what God is going to do. So the burden can go both ways. I think both things are true at the same time. Uh, hold your place here. Come just one page back. Nahum chapter 1 verse 1. Nahum 1 verse 1. Good old brother Nahum. He says in verse 1, The burden of Nineveh. The book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. Now, all I'm doing is introducing you yet again to the word burden, the burden of Nineveh. God showed Nahum what the Lord is going to do to Nineveh. So now this is what Nineveh has to put up with. This is what they have to look forward to and deal with, right? And at the same time, the book of the vision. So this is what Nahum is seeing. Now he's passing on the information. Uh, come to the right a little bit. Get Zechariah. Second to last book in your Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 12. And verse number 1. Zechariah 12 verse 1. Zechariah 12 and 1, it says, The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth and formeth the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about when they shall be in the siege against Judah and against Jerusalem. By the way, this verse has been being fulfilled. And I use that English specifically. It is being fulfilled over and over and over again. Jerusalem is a cup of trembling. Because any nation that comes against her, they end up on shaky ground. Look at what's happening with Hamas even now, right? Every time they come around, Jerusalem becomes a problem for them. Because God said, this is, this is how I'm going to handle this nation. It has become the burden of the world. <laughs> Verse 3, and in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. Do you see how that's immediately applicable in 2021? This is Zechariah writing this in, in the 500s BC. <laughs> he's, he's only 2,500 years ahead of his time. That's not too bad, but he's got it spot on tell me one other city in the world that could answer that, that that could fall into this category one other city that says anytime somebody else tries to mess with it there'll be a burdensome stone there's no other city like that there's been cities here and there you know what once a, once in a while in a generation but every single time jerusalem ends up like this all right let me give you a, uh, the word burden but in a couple different uses here matthew chapter 11 See, you get the idea when God says, this is what I'm going to do. 
and then the prophet has to go tell people about it that's a burden but notice Jesus and the apostles use the word burden and not so much in a, in a negative sense here Matthew 11 and verse 28 come unto me Jesus says all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and ye shall find rest unto your souls for my yoke is easy and my what my burden is light so Lord what do you mean by burden you see people come to Christ and they go well I just I'm heavy laden I am burdened down by the world. I am burdened by my sin. Amen. Amen. So you come to Christ and people say, I just want to give him all my problems and all my burdens and I want to be burden free. That's not reality. That's a false concept of Christianity to go, he's just going to take all my problems away. That's not true. You trade problems. You get a new burden. What, what is that? Instead of living up to the world's expectations, the world says, here's what we want you to do. And Jesus says, throw that out. Here's what God wants you to do. Here are your new list of priorities. Here are your new responsibilities. And I am going to help you carry these. My, my yoke, take my yoke upon you. So why is the yoke easy? Because I'm not the only one pulling it. Why is the burden light because I'm not the only one carrying it I have somebody to bear the burden with me you see but let's let's make sure we understand God still shows us this is what I'm going to do in your life and now that God shows you that you're responsible to do something with it so you see how the the idea the concept of a burden is still there but it's a positive thing it actually makes it helps you make sense of what's going on in your life Come to the book of Acts, chapter 15. Acts, chapter 15, verse 28. This is shortly after the council meeting in Jerusalem. And the question was, now that Gentiles are getting saved, do Gentiles have to become Jewish? That was the big question. It was the question of the Judaizers in these days. People thought that if a Gentile gets saved and needs to be right with God, then he has to adopt Jewish culture. He has to get circumcised according to the law of Moses. He has to adopt a kosher diet, a Jewish diet. He has to do all the ordinances of the Old Testament. By the way, history tends to repeat itself. We're right back at it. Hebrew roots movement is precisely what they're pushing they have their own little nuances, but it's amazing how it constantly happens like this. The thing that has been is the thing that shall be. There's no new thing under the sun, right? Solomon wrote that. So the only thing men learn from history is that men never learn from history. <laughs> so they, they sorted this out 2,000 years ago at the Council of Jerusalem, and they said, Gentiles that get saved do not do not need to adopt Hebrew roots. It's not, you don't have to become Jewish, but there were a few things. The apostle said, you, you do need to be mindful, not of these Jewish concepts, but just righteous concepts. Acts fifteen twenty eight. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden 
than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare ye well. A nice, short, concise, easy list. and says, guys, here is what God expects from you. Amen. Right? Yeah. That's the burden. So I'm, I'm introducing you to the word burden and what it entails. It's not a bad thing. It's just what God expects. All right, let's come back to the book of Habakkuk now. Habakkuk chapter 1. And verse number 2. And now we begin the conversation uh, nigh unto an argument but let's, let's call it a conversation for now Habakkuk 1 and verse 2 O Lord how long shall I cry and thou will not hear alright how many of you have felt like that maybe recently you've been praying but it just seems like God won't answer and what you're praying about you're right you, you have a righteous cause you actually are pointing something out to the Lord that needs attention. And you're wondering, God, why won't you pay attention? How long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear, even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save? So what the prophet is seeing is everywhere he looks in society, somebody's getting cheated, somebody's getting beat up, Somebody's getting robbed. Somebody's getting carjacked. Somebody's house is being broken into. Farm murders are taking place. The prophet has seen all that. And the prophet says, God, step in. God, do something. God, put a stop to it. God, where are you? God, where? Help, please. And he says, God, why won't you save? Why won't you deliver anybody? Verse 3, why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? Now, this is, you can hear a bit of the bitterness in Habakkuk's voice here. It's not as if God is taking this wickedness and shoving it right under Habakkuk's nose and saying, look at this, Habakkuk, look at this. He's not rubbing it in. But the, that's kind of the way it sounds. Why dost thou show me iniquity? Cause me to behold grievance. The way that God is causing this to happen is because God is not stepping in to stop it. So that's why Habakkuk says, you're causing me to see it because everywhere he looks, it's going on. Now, I, I don't know personally where you've lived and what you've seen. No doubt some of you have seen some pretty horrible things. Um, where I grew up, it wasn't this bad. I didn't, when I, I, I could go out, listen to this, I could go to a park and play and I wasn't afraid. I wasn't scared for my life. I wouldn't do that here. I wouldn't do that here. My daughter, of course, you know I have one grandbaby. Grandbaby number two is on the way next month. Um, Megan, when they moved to America, Megan told me she grew up in Malawi and then, you know, her teenage years here, lived in Joburg for a little while. She said, Dad, there's no way I'll ever go out in public to a park and feel safe, never in my life. One month in America, she said, Dad, I don't know what's happened, but I actually feel safe. I can go play in a park. Now, see, it just shows you the environment you grow up in. It, it, it's going to affect maybe the way you read these verses because your idea of violence and people getting cheat, cheated and beat up and stuff I, it depends on what you've seen. 
when I got to Malawi, I, I, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry or, or get angry. I gave a pastor one day, one of our pastors, I gave him some money to go to town and buy some building products. To, we were fixing up a church building. And he's riding his bicycle into town. He got hit by a car. Okay, that happens all the time. And there he is laying in the street, and uh, he's hurt, obviously. So the first man that comes to the pastor, instead of asking, are you okay, checks for the pastor's phone, took his phone, ran off. The next man that showed up, patted him down and took all of his money. The next man that came, patted him down looking for anything else. And since there was nothing else, ran off. And then about five minutes later, somebody came to actually help him out of the road. Now, something is drastically wrong with any culture that treats people like that. I mean, you have, you have a sick, diseased environment when that's what's going on. And that's normal. That's normal. When I heard about this, I said, what? Why did this happen? They said, Pastor, this is what happens every time. This is how we live. I, I was blown away. I didn't know such things actually could. I didn't know humans could do that to other humans. I didn't know that was possible. Now, see, the longer you live, the more of these stories you hear, and it sickens you. You, you just realize, how can people actually be this horribly vile and mean to each other those kind of things are going on now what I saw that's a small thing that's a small thing I heard about a story in Dundee when I was visiting there people show up with machine guns at the farmer's house and ta -ta 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 -ta, just shoot the, the the farmer sitting in his baki and just shoots the baki it, just out of nowhere just because he can just because he wants to and then, and then they have the gall to say farm murders don't happen. No, I'm sorry. Let, let's, let's just be honest here. They happen. They happen. Let's just acknowledge it. They happen. And to Britain now, th this is why I don't get into politics because we can just go into story after story after story and you walk away from church going, that was not very helpful. <laughs> you just get scared. I, I, let me draw it back into the verse. God, you see this happening. You know what God saw in this country for dozens and dozens of years, decade after decade, of people saying, because you're the wrong color, you don't get to live here, you can't work that job. And it was institutionalized and, and legalized. Legalized oppression. That's just disgusting. That's just disgusting. Now, God, you're letting me see this. Why won't you stop it? Verse 3, Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me. It's happening right in front of him. People getting robbed right in front of him. And God's not doing anything. And there are, there are that raise up strife and contention. What's that? People constantly uh, rioting all the time arguing, rebelling against the authority. That's raising up strife and contention. All day, every day, somebody's picking a fight with somebody else. If you want to see it in South Africa, turn on the news 
and just watch Parliament any day of the week and that's what you got strife and contention what's the opposite of that sitting down and actually having a profitable conversation conflict resolution how do we fix this problem we don't agree on the proper way forward for our country now let's talk about it let's think about it. let's hear from our constituents let's let's learn let's let's move forward not these people they said let's just fight let's just mudsling let's just complain about everybody when a country gets to that state, it's just about finished. When you're not able to sit down and have a calm, cool, and collected conversation, there's very little hope. Now, lest you think this is just politics, that's true of your home as well. As soon as you're no longer able to sit down and say, uh, husband, wife, please, we have issues here in the home. We need to discuss it. If you cannot have a rational, calm conversation, your home your home is nigh unto finished. What can you do? Then you just start begging God, God, please step in. God, please do something. Please change my husband, change my wife. Please, you need a major act of God to fix that. Now, take your Bible. I want you to look at uh, Hosea chapter four. I want you to see some more context to this. So the problem here is they're raising up strife and contention, constantly arguing, constantly fighting. They don't, people aren't looking for answers anymore. They're, they're looking for a fight. They want to fight. They want to be heard. They want their, their face on the news. I, I, I saw something recently with this LGBTQAI plus community. We're going to run out of letters in the alphabet after a while. I mean, enough's enough. You know what it used to be years ago? People say, the church has no business talking about what we do in our bedroom. That's private. Right? So leave us alone. What we do in private, that remains in private. So you have no right to judge us. Okay. All right. You want to go there? Fine. A lot of churches shut up and said, well, you know, whatever you do in private, that's your business. And then they came out of the closet. Now, now think about this, just think, let's think, let's not argue, let's think. The complaint was, we're talking about what they do in the closet. Then they came out of the closet. Well, now, if you didn't want us to talk about it, why'd you come out of the closet? <laughs> right? Then, then they come out of the closet and they go, you have to accept us. You have to say that what we're doing is right. <laughs> I have to What? Now, listen, if you want to do something behind closed doors, you're going to answer to God for that. But you cannot actually go to court and sign into law a new law that says, I have to accept that and say that a man and a man coming together actually makes a marriage. You can't redefine words. When, when a person says, I am, I am neither a man or a woman, I'm both. That's institutionalized. You need help. And I, I'm not saying that in a, in a mean way. I'm saying a person who is experiencing this needs help. But now it's become a law that we're not allowed to say that such a person is wrong. They're signing it into law that if I don't call that person a them, 
I could be criminally charged. What's the problem? Somebody's just wanting to argue. Somebody's just trying to stir up trouble. Now, I'll tell you how deep this goes. The problem is it's a rebellion against authority. And in the case of the LGBTQAI community, it's, a, it's rebellion against God's authority because God is the one who set up nature, right? And if, and if God made you a boy, you need to say, I'm a boy. And if you're a girl, I'm a girl. And when you say, well, God, you know, I was created, I have this biological body of a boy, but I think I'm a girl, then you're rebelling against nature. You just don't want to submit to any authority. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I get to be whatever I want to be. No, you don't. No, you don't. There are limits to what you can be. Amen. Amen. There are limits. There are limits. I will never be the president of South Africa. There are limits because I'm an American. (laughs) There are limits. I saw a man on the news the other day, a, a white boy a white boy from America, he said, I am a Filipino girl. (laughs) You done lost your mind. You just, people are just causing problems. That's just a rebellion against common sense. I'm getting off topic. Hosea 4, verse 1. Hosea 4, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood toucheth blood. That was everyday life in Israel. This is about a hundred years before Habakkuk. Everyday life. That's it. Verse 3, Therefore shall the land mourn, and everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish. And the beasts of the field with the fowls of heaven, yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. Environmental problems. I mean, this is modern day stuff. Verse four, yea, or it says, yet let no man strive nor reprove another. So stop arguing and stop pointing the finger at people. Do you know that's what's going on today? You're the problem, you're the problem. No one says, my bad, I made this mistake. No one. Tell me the politician that's done it. Says that that was my, tell me the health minister that took 400 and some million rands during COVID that says, yep, my bad. I'm sorry. I'm a corrupt thief. It was my fault. Where's that guy? Where's Fauci that says, listen, I told you to wear masks because even though I knew masks did absolutely nothing, which they've now shown. Is he going to say my bad? No. They don't take responsibility. Let no man strive, nor reprove another. For thy people are as they that strive with the priests. Who are the priests? Religious authority. Their responsibility is to enforce God's law on the nation. But what did the people do? Every time the priest would say, no, no, God said do it like this. They go, I don't want to do it like that. No, no, but you need to come to church. I don't want to come to church. I got YouTube. No, but you need to be discipled. But but I want to be discipled. I I went to Sunday school when I was a kid. Yeah, but but you would really be helped if you came together and got... Yeah, but I got my own way of doing it and just constantly, constantly self-willed. Yeah? Argumentative. Come to a church, but I don't want to go to church, but people are mean. People get into cliques. 
you, you can't get along with anybody. Verse 5, Therefore shalt thou fall in the day, and the prophet also shall fall with thee in the night, and I will destroy thy mother. It's not just political problems. Mom's heart gets broken because Buti and Sissi won't listen. Because as soon as you say it doesn't matter what the authority says, you can do whatever you want, how are you going to tell your kids do this and do that? They won't listen because mom and dad don't listen. Which authority does mom and dad listen to? Do they submit to the government? No. Do they submit at work? No, they come home and gripe about their boss morning, noon, and night. They have not one nice thing to say about their boss. Do they like their profs at school? No, every prof at school is an idiot. That's what they say. Now I'm talking like you talk. Everywhere they go, there's nothing but problems, problems, problems. Then they come home. What do you expect? Mom and dad's a problem. Verse 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. So you know what the priest does? The priest says, well, I keep telling people the Bible. They won't listen to it. Okay, fine. I'll fight fire with fire. I'll just argue with the people. And the priests start perverting the law, changing it. The people would bring a sacrifice, and rather than burn it on the altar, the priest would take some of the food and go home with it. And the priest got corrupt, and then the house of God was corrupt. And once the house of God was corrupt, now society had nothing left to lean on. Politics shot, home shot, businesses shot, house of God shot. God said, okay, you're going to throw my words out? That was the last hope. Well, then there's no hope. Your children are going to feel it. Your politics are going to feel it. Your environment's going to feel it. Everything's down the drain. Verse 7, as they were increased, so they sinned against me. You see, what we need is a better infrastructure. We need more finances. We need more money. It'll just destroy you faster. As they were increased, so they sinned against me. Therefore will I change their glory into shame. And on it goes. We just time won't allow us, but it gets worse and worse, and society just heads down. Come back to Habakkuk. Let's finish up for the morning. Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 4. But you can see, you can see what these prophets were dealing with. Society back then isn't that different from what it is now. Same attitude. Habakkuk 1 verse 4 therefore the law is slacked so it's lost its power and somebody goes and says yes but you've broken this law they go so just pay enough money and you don't have to go to prison pay enough money you know under the table it's all fine well then what was the purpose of having the law therefore the law is slacked and judgment doth never go forth for the wicked doth compass about the righteous therefore wrong judgment proceedeth because everywhere the righteous man stands, he looks this way, there's a corrupt judge here. He looks this way, there's a corrupt policeman here. He looks this way, there's a corrupt businessman there. He looks this way, his pastor, corrupt, just taking the money from everywhere he goes. So he says, no matter what I do, there's wicked people compassing me, encircling me. Verse 5, behold ye among the heathen. Now, what I think God is doing here is addressing Gentiles. Um, you can maybe just make a note because time is gone now, but Joel chapter 3, verse 9, you actually see where God does say, proclaim this among the Gentiles. 
So it's not very often God does it, but sometimes he does say, this is, I want the Gentiles to know this. Behold ye among the heathen and regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe though it be told you. Now, what we get into, and this is next week's study, but God's going to explain how he's going to bring the Chaldeans and destroy Judah and the punishment that he's going to give for all this wicked stuff in, in society. The, the thought I want to leave you with this morning from verse 5, God does have a plan to fix it. The prophet is praying, God, why don't you save? Why don't you put a stop to the wickedness? God will. But God's timing is not your timing. God works on, a, on his calendar and not yours. Right? Eventually, God does step in. And when he steps in, oh, man, when he steps in, society can hardly believe what's happening. That's why I said, I'm going to do something it's going to be hard to believe, which you will not believe, though it be told you. When you look at how certain society, I mean, you think about the British for, a lot, for hundreds of years, they said the sun will never sit on the, on the British Navy. You think about what the British did. They went all over the world colonializing. And I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying they did. They thought no one will ever overthrow us. Well, they did. Then the Germans popped up and said, we're going to take over the world. One little country. They tried to take over the whole world. And they just about did it. And this country sent delegates to sit at the feet of Hitler in the 1930s to learn how they were doing it so they could do it here. Look how that turned out. Every time you go to one of these places and they say, we are the world's superpower, look at America right now. Can any of you think of a way that America could be sunk? I mean, I mean really. With the financial power, the military power, it's been going almost 400 years just the human observation you say that there's no way anybody could take down America oh I don't know <laughs> I think pretty soon you'll go to America and you'll say oh, yes, oh. <laughs> you'll be uh, speaking uh, Chinese <laughs> you see Paul the apostle Paul in the book of Acts he quotes this verse in Acts chapter 13 verse 51 he quotes this I think it's verse 51 uh, 41 Acts 13 41 because he said, you Jews, God's going to bring the Romans and destroy Jerusalem and knock down your temple. You don't think it's possible. Judah has been standing, right, since the days of David. This is now 400 years they've been standing and no one can take down the temple. And he says, now, you Gentiles, lots of people have tried to come and attack Judah. No one's been successful, but I'm going to bring these Chaldean people and wipe them out and the things that they're going to do in Judah you're going to hear it and go no way there's no way God would let his chosen people go through this oh yeah he would because when people go this far away from God God cannot stay silent forever God will eventually step in and eventually do something now I know we've talked a lot about politics this morning but can you please make this personal Make this personal. Whatever the things are going on in your life, say, why isn't God answering? He will eventually. He will eventually step in and put a stop to it. So the best thing you can do before you get to that point is say, God, I was wrong. 
You have put certain authority structures in my life. There are certain things you've told me to do, and I need to pay attention to those things. And I want to bring those things right to you. I was destroyed for a lack of knowledge. I didn't know you well enough, and I want to fix that. I want to fix that. So if there's anything we can take from what we've studied so far, that's what we take from that. All right, let's all stand. Let's all stand. Sorry, I went a few extra minutes. Hard to know where to stop on all that. Father, please, as you've given us this information this morning, it is a burden. Lord, who likes to think about the impending danger that might come? But Lord, we know that one day you will put an end to all of this corruption and wickedness. And until that day, Lord, our heart breaks. Everywhere we look, wickedness abounds. Show us what we can do to make a difference. Lord, you've given us the gospel to counteract this. Help us to stay busy giving people a way out of that darkness and into your light. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, folks, please spend some time in the sunlight. Warm up for a few minutes before.